Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Back again for yet another episode of Hollywood and Levine. Hi there, I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great guest, a very difficult guy to get. It's just taken me months. David Isaacs, my writing partner, will be joining me this week and next, primarily to defend himself after listening to all of my other podcast episodes. But we sat down and chatted for quite a long time, and we're going to split it up so that half is this week, and part two will be next week. And this week, we're going to talk about a number of topics, including a follow-up on something that I talked about last week. Uh, Remember the prank that I pulled on David, where I took out an ad in the Jerusalem Post looking for a wife for him? Well, we're going to get his side of the story. Also, we're going to talk about breaking in and what our original goals were, and whether we thought we actually could make it. And since we are so used to writing together, what is it like writing separately? So that and much more. Part one, my interview with comedy writer David Isaacs. I can't wait to meet him. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is something that I referred to in last week's podcast, which was the hilarious prank I pulled on you when uh, you were turning 30. And I thought, you know, what can I get this guy? And the perfect thing would be a wife. So I took out an ad in the Jerusalem Post that Dr. David Isaacs was uh, looking for a wife and uh, gave your contact information. Uh, what happened? What, you know, when were you getting these letters? What was going on? Well, the first sign was that when I went to get my mail, I would get, I suddenly got this incredible uptick in, in my mail, which were the usual two bills. Uh-huh. And <laughs> even by that time, no one was writing letters to each other. You right. Know, there was none of that kind of stuff. But suddenly I'm getting these personal letters in the mail, and they're all from Israel, or they appear to be from Israel. And maybe I think a couple were from New York. I don't remember. They're introductory letters from women. Some are sending pictures, and they're all saying, I read your uh, ad in the Jerusalem Post, and uh, I want to let you know that I'm 
a young woman living in Tel Aviv, for instance, or Haifa, and uh, I do this, I do that, I'm, I'm uh, you know, the physical uh, attributes, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Is that, first of all, maybe it's a different Dr. David Isaacs. My name is is sort of in the in the sort of Hebraic roll call. There, David Isaacs pops up quite a bit, so I figure, well, somebody made a mistake and and got got mixed up, or the Jerusalem Post screwed up. But then I'm kind of kind of continually getting these letters. And I'm actually getting kind of interested. I'm thinking maybe I'll try a couple of these, you know, if nothing else. I, you know, but then I'm there. I'm, you know, I'm not going to Israel, and I'm certainly not paying for them to have a ticket over here. But well, thinking, yeah, and you would come into the office and yeah. and talk about this, and it yeah. was very difficult for our writer's assistant Roz, yeah. uh, who speaks Hebrew and wrote the uh, the actual ad, and uh, and I to just go, uh, huh, huh, yeah, that's, how, how curious is that? Yeah, I think I actually, there were, now you reminded me, you jogged my memory, I think there were a couple that were actually in Hebrew, uh-huh. and I actually, by that time I was so interested, I was even trotting out my my old Hebrew school Hebrew, trying to figure out some and getting nothing but, uh, you know, kosher or, you know, a few things I still recognized, like shalom. Um, and I, I remember bringing them in and and uh, and and you guys were playing it beautifully. And as usual, I'm the last to know. On these Didn't things. you get a call from one? I did or get a something? call. I did. You're right. I did. You remember this stuff better than I do. Uh, I did get a call from a girl, and I and I then I started to wonder how did you get? Did um, how did you did you did you um, uh, did you research this at all? Do you know who I am? Because I'm not a doctor, and right. she was still pushing it. She was, uh. <laughs> you know, oh, you're not a doctor. Well, what do you do? You know, it's kind of like. Like um, good job, very good job right. on the on the on the descending scale. Right. He's a comedy writer. Well, that's that's well below lawyer and and uh, and juggler, you know, yeah, juggler and uh-huh. and, and stockbroker. <laughs> but still, you know, it might be you might be good, and you might oh, you got pretty good credits. That's not bad. Um, and then I don't. I'm trying to remember how it you broke it, but but finally, well, I think what happened is once you started getting calls, yeah. then we were concerned that somebody was actually going to knock on your door, right, right, <laughs> that it may go too far. Yeah. So we finally told you, and you were a pretty good sport. <laughs> I, I, well, I, as you know, I'm a good sport, and, and it's not the first thing you ever pulled on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember one time in the early days when we were writing together and I was moving constantly. Yes. And I'd broken up with my girlfriend and I was moving out of an apartment. And, of course, you call your friends to – you get the truck from Sam's U-Haul. And right. And you, yeah. you have your friends come over and move your small, <laughs> move your stuff. Am- small we, amount of and, shit and that And we you get have. a pizza. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I come uh, – I have the car pulled up on a busy street where I lived. Uh, the uh, truck, I should say, and I've got everything loaded on there. I go back in to get something, and the, I come out, the truck is gone, and you say, the truck is gone. And I'm like, holy shit, I, I got everything You almost on dropped there. your TV. I almost, yeah. I, I was carrying a TV, that's right. <laughs> I was carrying a small TV, which I had, which was the one thing I probably brought with me from Miami. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, we had arranged it with one of the other friends to just drive just the truck, drive the around, truck the around the corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this kind of mental torture is <laughs> is what you get when you're in a comedy writing uh, partnership. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember shit I pulled on you, but I've, I don't remember too much of it. Uh, uh, no, but I'm really scared because the best Cheers Bar Wars, I think, of all of the Bar Wars that we wrote was the one that you came up with which was believing that Sam had killed Gary. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> and that was all you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. Well, that was probably pent-up aggression that, I, <laughs> that came out better. You know, it, it made us money, I suppose. So you mentioned that you came out from Miami. Yeah. And you got a job working at ABC schlepping film cans mm-hmm. in a now long-since obsolete position. Mm-hmm. What was your plan Uh, assuming that you wouldn't meet me, what was your plan? Well, my plan, of course, was to get to do something where I'd have like a half-decent salary, then put an ad in the Jerusalem Post (laughs) to find a wife. No, my plan really for for a while was just the fact that I was in California, Mm -hmm. that I I, I knew eventually I wanted to do something. And of course, I was trying to kind of find my way. And of uh, of course, that could be anything. That could have been any production assistant or page at, at NBC or CBS or uh-huh. tour guide, anything. And, of course, I met a lot of kids that were doing that. But it was just to put a roof over my head and and, and live here, not go back to the East Coast, which a couple of times I really thought of because I wasn't doing too well. I remember the story that you told. You had a little apartment. This was even before I knew you. Yes. You had this tiny apartment and your parents came out to visit, and your mom walked in the apartment and then just broke, broke down, down crying. crying. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I was happy. I was I was in this little apartment off the the, the Hollywood Freeway up in North Hollywood, right on the freeway. I mean, you could you know you could uh, you hear the cars going by, which didn't bother me because I my early years were in the Bronx, next to the. The, the IRT, the elevated, and and the, right where the guy would hit his brakes to stop at 167th <laughs> Street. So all I heard every 10 minutes my early years was screeching brakes um, from a subway. So I was happy, but I hadn't seen my mom in about, oh, oh almost a year and a half because I didn't go back there. And then she, finally she came out. My father didn't come out because he didn't like to fly. So she walks into this apartment I have, and I'm like, Mom, look, I got – she just – Breaks down, sobbing. You know, like, I don't like to see you living like this in one room. And I'm like, I've got a job. I've got a place. I've got a car. What do you, you know, what do you expect me to do? Be living, you know, in, in the, in pick fair now uh-huh. or something. And it was, she, she was sad, but she was, you know, she was okay that I was okay, I suppose, but. You know, it's not what you want for your kid necessarily. Had you taken writing courses at the University of Miami? Yeah, I took one writing course, which I got a C in, I think. (laughs) Which Which was more than me. So when we got together, you were the professor. (laughs) Well, at least I knew the form, which I had been taught. But we we both agreed that while we, we had the same dreams and we had the same kind of way to get there that we we had agreed upon we didn't really know what we were doing right frankly right you know in 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 how we got ourselves out there but how we actually put ourselves on paper 
So we went to um, Larry Edmonds Bookstore. Yeah, I went to the bookstore, and on the remainder tables, they had TV scripts. And I had never even seen a TV script. Yeah. So they cost uh, like $2. So I bought yeah. a, an odd couple and a couple of Mary Tyler Moore shows. And, you know, you would see Interior, WJM, Night. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's what the format is. But we had no real idea. I had never taken a writing class. When I went to UCLA, I may have told this story before, but when I went to UCLA and I was very involved in the campus radio station, and we had a guy who was a disc jockey there who had his heart set on being a TV sitcom writer, and he took a class at UCLA, and he had to write a spec episode of That Girl, and he got an A-plus on it. I read it. And I thought it was a giant piece of shit. And so I thought, if this is what they're teaching, I don't want any part of it. And he later did work at Paramount, but as an accountant. And uh, and it was always awkward. uh, But it it was hard to get into those courses when you were at UCLA. Well, it was hard to get into the program. It was hard to get into the program. program. You could get into actual classes. But that's the other thing, because when I went to UCLA, I originally was a psych major. In fact, that's how I got my degree Mm -hmm. because my father said, you know, you can learn everything you need to learn about any form of show business by getting a job, but college, you should take an academic course load. So I took psychology and after a couple of years, I still wanted to get into the TV department. So I applied and they said, give us a tape of something you've done. Mm. And I said, well, aren't I supposed to have a tape when I graduate? Aren't you guys supposed to teach me how to make a tape? Well, needless to say, I never got in. But I did take a couple of courses. Anyway, the long and short of it is I had never taken a writing class at all. So you were way ahead of me. Yeah, but not, but only in the, but only in the form itself, or right. how many pages it should right. be. <laughs> we, didn't, we, no, we, didn't, a, we didn't understand things like yeah. outlines and and that sort of thing. Well, as as, as I remember, we had an uh, we also had an odd couple script. Yes, that we had we had bought, and we were writing our first one, and you were at the typewriter, and you said, you know, I think we look this thing wraps up at around page thirty seven. We should start wrapping ours up. <laughs> I said, "Are we near an ending here?" I don't know, but wouldn't it look better if it was thirty-eight pages as opposed to sixty? Right. So we decided to kind of wrap it up. That's the kind of precise plotting we were doing at that point. And to wrap it up, we had this giant special effects explosion. <laughs> uh, it probably would have cost seventy million dollars oh. in nineteen seventy-three money. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, world building on a kind of Marvel level. Yeah, <laughs> that, that for a simple sitcom. Uh, so it was, it was, um, it would, but but we never gave up. That was the that was the number one thing. I think. Well, we found out. I met a writer, Frank Buxton, who right. since has passed on, and we asked him about how you break in, and he said, "Well, you have to write a script." from an existing show. And so for you and I, our gold standard was the Mary Tyler Moore show. Absolutely. So you and I, for like about eight weeks, would watch the show. See, fortunately, I had no girlfriend, okay? If I had any kind of love life, 
I never would have been a writer. So I'm really lucky that I had no girlfriend. But we would get together on Saturday night. There were no VCRs. So if you wanted to see the Mary Tyler Moore show, you had to actually tune in 9 o'clock on Saturday nights on CBS. And we would hold a microphone. We had a cassette recorder. We would hold a microphone up to the speaker. And we would tape the show. And then we would go back and write an outline based on the show and we did that week after week after week until we started seeing the patterns and figuring out kind of how they plotted the show and really that's how we learned uh, how to plot shows through romance our being involved in romance has never swayed us from our <laughs> from our goal every Saturday night illness yes family obligations yes <laughs> natural disasters yes but romance never that that was never going to get in the way absolutely we needed more money in our pockets for that and then we decided at one point at the beginning of 1974 excuse me, 1975, we decided, okay, we are going to make a two-year commitment to this. You had a day job at ABC, and I was going to go get any kind of nine-to-five job that I didn't have to take home with me. Right. Wound up teaching broadcasting at a broadcasting school, and that we were going to get together at night. Our real job was writing spec scripts. And I remember having a conversation with my father about it, and his reaction was, well, I think it's a pipe dream, but you're still young enough so that when this falls through, you can do something else. What was your parents' reaction when you told them? What do you know about writing? <laughs> <laughs> it was very much the same kind of positive reinforcement that uh, George Costanza would get from his parents <laughs> when it came to him doing anything. <laughs> My parents were a little more fateful, I suppose, but they were very supportive. I mean, they, they my father, uh, you know, I'm an only child and, and I was leaving to go 3,000 miles across the country at the age of 22. Needless to say, my parents missed me and, and, and I missed them in my own way. What does that mean? Uh, but, and my father was not too, none too kind of happy about me going to California. But he, he was like your dad. He, he, he was, he was smart and smart about his children. And um, he told me, "Go ahead. If it doesn't work, you'll come back." And I know he missed me. But when I was at my lowest, my father said, "Don't come back. There's nothing for you here." And he knew That's that great. what I wanted to do, right. I would not be able to do back there. And so he encouraged me to stay. So that kind of real parenting was a lot of what I got from my mom and dad. They were always happy for me. <laughs> they, they were very happy I was writing with you because my father would always say, and this continued through <laughs> in our greatest success, that I would say to my father, we're doing this new show or we're going to be in that. And my father's immediate thing was, what does Ken think of this? <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end of his life, I finally kind of had it, had enough of him asking that. <laughs> and he said, we were doing something. I don't I remember. I think we had a, a, towards the end of his life, we were, uh, we had a pilot. Uh, we had sold our pilot at, um, at FX, our, 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 okay. our spec pilot, mm -hmm. you know which one I'm talking about. 
And my father said, what does Ken think of it? And I said, Ken thinks it's the shittiest idea he's ever heard. <laughs> but, he, but, he's, but after we've been working for 35 years, he's kind of throwing me a bone and, <laughs> and saying, I'll go with it if you like it. Um, and I told that story at my father's uh, memorial. Yeah, well, in my parents, it was very similar in the sense that before I partnered with you and I was on my own doing radio, I was just a colossal failure at everything. <laughs> I did. That's not true. Okay. That's not so true. when we started getting success, then, you know, my parents using the logic figured, well, it's it's because he's riding on the back of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> did you think yeah. we were going to make it when we were doing our spec scripts? In a sense of destiny, yes. I felt we were good enough. I really did. I felt like when compared to other things I had read and my belief in you and I, I guess my belief in myself in some ways, I, I did feel like we, we, could find, we could find our way there. Uh, the thing that held me back was I didn't know how. I would, there was no kind of definite path of how we were going to get there. Right. But I do believe that in the back of my mind I knew it, it would work out. You know, what really helped me... What about you? What really helped me was we were taking a course at UCLA in the yeah. experimental college, whatever the fuck extension. that is. Extension. Yes. Um, and no, it, it wasn't even extension. It was a different... It was an, the experimental college. I think it was the same courses, but just cheaper. So that's why we did that. Oh, well, that makes sense. But... but um, we had this class, and the class itself wasn't very good. We really didn't learn that much, but the instructor would read spec scripts from the students. And I remember there was one night where it was all Mary Tyler Moore shows, and he read four scripts, including ours, and ours was the only one that was getting laughs mm -hmm. from the class. And at that point, I thought, you know, we might be on to something. Yeah. I didn't feel we were uh, we were dabbling either. I thought our commitment to it was strong. Oh yeah, we would and, work two, three nights a week yeah. and Saturdays usually, and we were having a good time doing it. So um, we didn't struggle with it too much. We started struggling a little bit after we made some money, and the pressure was on right. to continue. That's when we we sort of hit some obstacles in terms of uh, uh, sort of doubting ourselves. It was probably me more than you, but. But still, we we would we got in our own way a lot until we finally broke through, and that was probably because of Mash. Yeah, no, that's true. That we would do some scripts, and you know, in the back of your mind, you're going, "They're paying us for this, <laughs> okay?" You know, if we do a bad spec, you know, and a few people read it and go, "This is terrible," you just throw it in a drawer. But they're paying us for this, and there was some teacher. This was like the worst advice you could ever give a young writer. And he said, okay, so your script is like 38 pages and you make $15,000 for a script. So is each page <laughs> yes. worth like $750? <laughs> is this page yeah. worth $750? Like I said, that's the worst thing. Yeah. You can tell a yeah, work, work that around at about two in the morning. Right. <laughs> you know, when you look back on what you did that day. <laughs> when you and I got to MASH, we decided it would be probably a, a good thing since we always would write head to head. 
it would be a good thing to take one script a season and split it up where I would write one act and you would write the other act. Then we would put them back together again and do the polish together. But the point of the exercise was that each one of us would feel comfortable writing on his own so that we were a partnership based on choice and not dependency. What was that like for you having to write a script on your own for the first Uh, time? It was tough at first, and then I kind of got, I I think I sort of started working at it a little bit, and I found myself, as as you always do, sort of falling into the work itself. And uh, it was kind of satisfying. Back of my mind was, was like, I hope, you know, would he like this joke or would, you know, I, I, I still sort of had you in the back of my mind. I did know that it was a smart thing to do. I wasn't about to give up and say, you know what, that's a bad idea. Let's, let's just write together. Right. You know, the first time I hit on to, you know, feeling like I was, something was not as good as it should be or it would be if the two of us were working together. But I did know that it was, it was something we needed to do. And the fun thing was was put the most fun was putting it together. Yeah. After we had both gone off and and finding out that wow that's exactly the kind of joke. That, <laughs> yeah. No, that you really couldn't done. tell who wrote what act. Yeah. That really yeah. It, it was true. It was true. We, we and that's why we probably lasted as long as we have and did is is um, we had the same kind of sensibility about what was funny and yeah and the kinds of jokes we would do. Neither one of us was really into kind of writing topical jokes or Mm -hmm. it was really about the character. It was really, it had to come from the character. I I know that. For me, writing by myself, the hard part, the big adjustment was sitting in a room by myself quietly because I was just so used to the social aspect of it. And so the way I got around that, I would have to go to UCLA and I would write up in the library just so that there were people and even whispering just so that I was in a um in a social situation. Yeah. There was no Starbucks back then. <laughs> that's, okay. That's right. If there was Starbucks, I'd be sitting at Starbucks. Right, right. Well, you know, writing by yourself is all about the the, the two of us was easy because it's like I can't disappoint Ken and not show up at ten o'clock. Right. In the morning. Right, and, likewise. And, and work yeah. to a certain amount of time. You, The other person pushed you. And that was, that really was, uh, made it a kind of instant ritual. Writing by yourself, you really have to find out, like, how are you the most comfortable? Where do you need to be? And then you got to be a bulldog about starting because there's not the other person to disappoint if you don't show up at 10 right. o'clock. You know, so you got to, you got to get, you know, if it's a cup of coffee and it's a place you're sitting, for me, I ha- I've always had to get out of the house. If I'm in my house, wherever that house was at any given time in my career, I would be distracted, distracted by the TV, distracted by anything that would keep me from sitting down for the, for the most part of keeping me there. So I felt like I needed to be away. And over the years, as as you and I did more of these things separately, even when we were still putting them together, I found that if I listened to music, jazz, things without any singing or voices, right. just constant 
music and a certain kind of music, that was something I needed. So you, you find those things as you go. Well, I kind of had the opposite problem when I would be writing by myself. Uh, I had no problem starting, but I did have a problem ending because I knew when you and I worked together mm-hmm. that we would end the day at 4 or 5 o'clock and that would be it. I knew that I wouldn't be writing for the rest of the day, so I could go off to a Laker game or a movie or whatever and not worry about it. But when I was writing by myself, you know, I'd be at a movie theater and I'd be thinking to myself, you know, I really should be home writing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt guilty all the time. And so that was really my big adjustment. Yeah, well, I think, you, you know, whether you're working with your partner or you work by yourself, there's only so much time and so much, well, being on a show is different. You know, no one's going home until the script is fixed. Right. So that's a different situation. <laughs> but when you're writing from scratch and you're putting in the amount of time you're going to put into that, that particular script, you know, you you build a sort of ritual of, of work each day, but you find that, like, you just can't go past about six or seven hours of that. Right. You know, including time to eat and stuff right. like that. including three-hour lunch. Right. Yeah. And, and if... <laughs> well, there's a lot to talk about. All, all the sex we missed when we were in our 20s. Um, but when you're writing by yourself, then there's, there's really a kind of point where you go, I just, I've got nothing else, you know. Right. Today. So, and for me, that's about maybe four hours or something like that. When you're writing by yourself, do you feel the need to finish a scene? Yeah. Or, okay, see, and I'm the opposite. Yeah. I, I will stop right in the middle. If, <laughs> if, I, if I come to um, a point where I hit a roadblock for whatever reason, that's when I stop. Yeah. And I kind of just let the idea. Uh, ruminate in my subconscious and usually the next morning when I'm relaxed and I'll just kind of think of some options and generally I'll come up with the solution and then I come back and and I got a head of steam. Well, that that's probably the ultimately that's the healthier thing to do and once again it's the it's something you learn as you go that you can step away from it. Right. And you'll probably fix it just by the very fact that you've stepped away from it. Right. And you've engaged your mind in other things. And then your mind is free to sort of make connections back to that place right. you were. And suddenly you have a solution. Like you used to say, you got your best ideas in the shower. Mm-hmm. So that was that. Thank God we had that office with the bathroom because <laughs> I could send you in that you were the cleanest writer in town. But, uh, but I think. Uh, my my mind is always kind of like, can I get to a place where I can leave it and feel like I left on a sort of high note? And that usually is the end of a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, is it great? I'm not sure. But at least it gives me a sort of finality, I think. And and for me, that that's what my mind needs, I suppose. Okay, there's part one of my chat with David Isaacs. Part two, next week we get into the value of outlines, some writing tips. We talk about some mistakes, very candidly, that we made along the way in our career. We talk about casting, we talk about directing, and also David spent some time working on Mad Men, and we will talk about that. That is next week. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, also to Howard Hoffman and John Wolfert. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, my email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ken. 
Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And I always would appreciate a five-star review. And, you know, maybe you could see your way to subscribing. Anyway, part two of my chat with David Isaacs coming up next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.